It's time to play ball. Welcome to the podcast with no limits. Whether it be sports, current events, or random thoughts, this is the place to step in and stay a while. Your host is a proud alumnus of Rio Hondo Prep, a former minor league baseball umpire, and a man with strong opinions. Welcome to the Get Home Safe podcast and your host, Matt Persima. Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of Get Home Safe. It is Monday, May 24th, 2021. We are one week away from Memorial Day and the official, unofficial start of summer. Very excited for that. There are so many great topics to get to today. I got to tell you, you know, when I, when I first started doing the podcast, kind of this new format where we would kind of just be doing a sports recap show. Uh, quite honestly, it was a lot easier in football season because I was like, well, there won't be, that'll be easy. You just talk about the college football game Saturday and the, and the Sunday NFL games, easy stuff. Well, I was a little concerned after football season, how this would go, but so far so good because there's always some great sports topics. Uh, this weekend was absolutely loaded uh, with sports and just various uh, subject matter that, uh, again, we're going to cover mostly sports today on our Monday, um, just just me Monday. Uh, <laughs> I don't know, uh, we need an official name for, for our Monday show, but um, it's just me today talking about all the great sports topics from the weekend. And there there was a ton, whether you liked hockey, basketball, NASCAR, golf, uh, college baseball, Major League Baseball, there's a lot of things going on. And it is so refreshing because remember this time last year, we didn't have anything. Everything was shut down. Things were slowly coming back. I think UFC had come back. I I, I forgot to mention UFC and boxing this weekend. I mean, just a ton of stuff. So if you're a sports fan, there's something for everyone out there uh, because we all have various tastes, right? Various flavors and and things. So um, anyway, uh, I want to first get to... Uh, the PGA championship. Um, What a weekend it was for golf and for Phil Mickelson, who at 50 years old became the oldest uh, golfer to win a major at 50. Uh, Quite impressive feat for Phil. Uh, Lefty, as they call him, Uh, a guy that has really taken ownership of his, uh, the end of not the end of his career, but his older days here in his career. Cause uh, the beauty of golf is you can play a long time, but you know, also there's young guys up and coming guys who have uh, who are really in great shape and can hit the ball really far. And so for him to do what he did at 50 years old is pretty, pretty impressive. Oldest uh, to major winner at 50 years old. It's his second PGA championship since uh, first time in uh, 2005. And it's the sixth major he's won. So a great career for Phil. What really stuck out to me with the PGA championship was the crowd, man, the crowd, it was back uh, down in South Carolina, I believe. And it was just awesome seeing so many people, uh, those last couple of holes, but especially the walk on 18 and the massive amount of people that follow them. Uh, It was like, for me, it told me, you know what? This COVID restriction stuff, uh, especially in sports is over because that was awesome that there was people that were just, it was a mob. It was, you know, and, and uh, Brooks Kepka was a little, little, little bummed out by it. You could tell he was a little like, 
annoyed by the sea of people around him. But hey, that's life, man. That's life. Uh, if you're going to be uh, in, in, the, in the, the final stage there, if you're going to be in the mix in the final uh, round, then hey, uh, you know that that could potentially happen. So uh, pretty awesome. He won by two strokes. Phil Mickelson did. Uh, Kepka was there and just, you know, couldn't quite catch him. Uh, I thought it was, you know, Phil didn't have a, an amazing day on Sunday. He did stretch his lead a little bit, but I thought the tournament was really one for him the first three days and, and his body of work really, uh, is what put him in position to, to win, uh, win his major, win the, the championship there. So, but again, the crowds, I mean, the energy, the, I, I've look at, I make no mistake about it. I am not a golf expert by any means. And even Valerie, she asked me, so I was kind of looking at the TV, we we're out and I was like looking at the TV and she's like, what's this new interest in golf? And I said, you know what? I don't know if it's, if it's like a passion or anything, it's something that I appreciate more now that I'm older. I said, it's, it's uh, you know, we all evolve and mature a little bit and there's things I used to love in sports that I don't anymore. And then there's things that I never thought I'd watch like golf or NASCAR or fighting or, or a lot of those things that uh, I am definitely intrigued by now. I know how hard golf is. Uh, I, I know. So I, I'm very impressed by what guys can do and the patience and you know, all the things that go into it. And plus, if I'm honest with golf, you know what I don't see anywhere is any wokeness and any, there's nothing, none of that. It's just, let's play the game. Let's play the match. Not even, I don't even know all the terms in golf, but I can get behind it. I can respect it because I know it's, whoa, drop my, drop my chair here. I know it's, it's fun to play at times. It's frustrating to play. Um, but it's just when you're out on a golf course, it's like, Hey, there's no worries, no stress, no anything. It's just like, let's get, let's, let's do this. So, um, you know, congrats to Phil Mickelson, a truly great guy, a guy, a guy, he's a lot of fun to follow on social media. If, uh, if, if, if you guys are looking for someone to follow out there, uh, he's just, he's just hilarious. So I couldn't be happy, happier for him. One of the great guys in golf, a uh, pretty hilarious dude. Arizona State graduate, I believe, played his golf there. And uh, West Coast guy, I think he lives in California. I'm not positive. But Phil Mickelson, lefty. Uh, it's, and, you know, left-handed people, they're just they're just different breed. My dad's left-handed. And you see a guy throw a, a football left-handed or shoot a basketball. It's just like it looks different, but especially a golf swing. You're like, man, alive. Like, how do you <laughs> – I can't swing it right-handed. So – uh, congrats to Phil Mickelson on the big win over the weekend and to golf fans out there, man, keep doing what you're doing. Keep coming out in masses like that. I think it's awesome. It shows everyone uh, out there who might be a little worried and scared about crowds gathering that. No, no, everything's just fine. Uh, getting out there and uh, following, following Phil like they did uh, the other night. If you remember Tiger, some of the crowds Tiger Woods used to uh, follow him were just thousands of people. So it reminded me of that, but remember when when golf came back it was no fans it was eerily quiet even after guys would hit the ball there wouldn't be that those uh those guys screaming get in the hole you know all that stuff and just uh as the dude's walking as he's walking up to it to the uh following his shot and everything you're just hearing everybody hey phil yeah go you could do it phil go phil yeah great job phil it was just it's like man i was blown away by it just seeing the energy that was back probably uh, suppressed all these months from, from the lockdowns and not having uh, not having golf crowds 
Uh, and it's just, it's reflective of that way in other sports too. I mean, things are opening up more and more here and I'll talk about this soon, but uh, stadiums are opening up uh, for, for everyone to get out and, and watch sports and to let loose and cheer and just be normal, be normal again. What a concept. So uh can't say it enough. I, I, I'm not going to break down all of Phil's shots and the things he did. I do. I did watch the final few holes and he did seem like he was playing things safe, just, you know, get, chipping it out of the rough or whatever. And uh, just putting himself in good position. His last few shots weren't glamorous, but they were exactly what needed to, to happen to protect the lead. And uh, everyone wanted him to sink that second to last putt, but he did it on the, you know, he had a, a stroke or two to work with. So he, he tapped in the last one there for his uh, for his PGA championship. And uh, I'm definitely a fan, a guy that at least for majors is, is tuning in a lot more to golf. So uh, man, big win over the weekend. That was, I would say from Thursday through Sunday, if you watch the golf all weekend, um, really, really cool stuff. I mean, just competitive, great scene there down at, at the PGA championship. And um, I know golf's hard to watch. It is but uh, I, I can't sit there and watch hours of it, but I'm learning to watch it and uh, develop a little bit more of an interest. So a uh, big win there for Phil Mickelson. Uh, hope you're celebrating uh, uh, this week somewhere, Phil. Uh, okay. Let's talk about the NBA playoffs. No, just kidding. We don't talk about the NBA here on this podcast. I had you guys for a second. Didn't I? The one thing I will say about the NBA playoffs um, and uh, it, 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 of course, is Mr. LeBron James, who is always the center of attention. And, you know, I'm watching a lot of hockey playoffs this weekend, some great games, overtime games. I'm seeing guys taking, uh, you know, sticks to the face. And, yeah, they go down a little bit. They're spitting up blood, but they get right back out there. Then I, then I see a highlight of LeBron James uh, getting uh, assaulted, apparently, by Chris Paul. You know, he's a big time enforcer in the NBA, apparently. I've, I haven't watched any NBA, but apparently I, I've missed. I, I've, I have not seen uh, Chris Paul evolve into this just uh, bash brother of, uh, you know, bad boy from the Pistons. I mean, I had no idea. Uh, he took what a shot he gave LeBron after a free throw. He came in and boxed him out and LeBron went down, man. He went down. I mean. I didn't know if the NBA hands out purple hearts or Academy awards during the playoffs, but man alive, LeBron James, congrats to you. I don't ever remember seeing Michael Jordan or Kobe Bryant uh, look this foolish after getting injured. We've all seen uh, Michael Jordan have to be carried off a floor because he's just so weak from uh, the flu in the NBA finals and can barely walk himself, but scoring points and leading his team. We've all seen Kobe Bryant shoot two free throws with a torn Achilles who couldn't walk, but it was the last thing he was going to do. But I don't remember those guys ever flopping around like a fish out of water. Uh, like they were just shot or something. LeBron James, you make me sick, man. Every time with you turn on a hockey playoff game and, and, and see what real toughness is. Good grief. You guys are spitting blood up everywhere and getting right back out there. No big deal. And I know hockey players are a different breed. They're a different type of toughness. But my goodness, LeBron James, go down as this greatest player ever, uh, all this talk. And it's just nonsense. Just nonsense. Maybe he's gotten weakened from all of his uh, activism or something. I don't know. But he, but he absolutely makes me sick. <laughs> 
rolling on the floor after Chris Paul. What's Chris Paul? Six six feet, six two, whatever. Little little point guard. It's not to say that little guys can't cause damage. I, I used to be one. You know, I used to be a little thinner and 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 used to you know knock guys around. But that was my role. I was an enforcer. I was a I was a tough guy. Well, not a tough guy, but a guy that would get in the mix and uh, you know. Anyway, that was high school way back in the day. But my goodness, Chris Paul, I didn't know he was this big, tough guy, LeBron. Toughen up. Or, or, or maybe not tough. Maybe you stop acting. Stop your, stop your nonsense. One of the best things I saw was a, uh, it was a clip where, I don't know if he was awarded a, an SB or something, but they, they, they clipped it so that it looked like it was an Academy Award for, for acting. It was hilarious. So, uh, oh, you guys know my my thoughts on LeBron James. But congrats on another Purple Heart, LeBron James. Congrats on that. I mean, man, you, you are just, you are quite the guy. And Chris Paul, stop stop knocking uh, six foot eight guys around or six, whatever LeBron is, uh, you know, big, big guys out there on the floor, man. Hey, you, you know, you got to watch yourself. You, 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 you might have a, a future in, uh, in MMA, uh, Chris Paul, with that that vicious, vicious shot he gave LeBron James. Of course, you know I'm kidding because it was uh, barely anything. LeBron James, good grief. Thank, thank goodness uh, you're, not in, you're not someone who's defending us somewhere because you wouldn't last uh, five minutes in a combat-type situation. Okay, let's move on. Let's, let's talk a little bit about those NHL playoffs. And, you know, the NHL playoffs to me are the best playoffs in all of sports uh right up there i would go march madness i think march madness is tough to beat the raw emotion the instant devastation right the the upsets you see um they're 18 19 20 year olds who uh this is probably for a lot of them the last time they're going to play basketball at least at this level so there's so much that goes into that but I would argue that the NHL playoffs, as far as raw intensity, holding your breath, just um, the the energy that you see, the the physicality, I think the NHL playoffs are, are second to none, really. And you know, last year they did they did these playoffs in the bubble, right up there in uh, Canada. Um, two, I think it was two Canada, Toronto and a Vancouver, and it was uh, East and West. And it was awesome for us sports fans, us hockey fans, because you could watch like five games in a day, four games in a day. If you remember, they were playing games at like 10 a.m. out here on the West Coast, like, and they would go all day. And for us unemployed, sitting at home in our houses, there was nothing to do but watch hockey all day. I didn't watch the NBA, as I still don't, but the hockey playoffs were outstanding. And I remember sitting there, I've never watched five hockey games in a day before. I'm going to do it. And it was a lot of fun. And so this year, there are some uh, differences really in the NHL playoffs. Uh, it is just uh, some some uh, tweaks they've done. Usually, it's eight teams in the East, eight teams in the West. You know, one versus eight, blah blah blah, so on. A bracket, best of seven series all the way through. Uh, so four rounds, right? First round, second round, conference finals, Stanley Cup final. So anyway, this year's a little different. They're doing like these 14 pods. And a big reason for that is because Canada uh, has more restrictions than America does as far as travel. They don't want people crossing uh, to and from the border. So 
the seven Canada teams have played each other all season. They've played each other all, all se- just them. And everyone's kind of played just divisional games anyway, but it's been a Canada division. Only teams up there playing each other. And I heard a stat that I couldn't believe. Uh, I, I could not believe hockey is very Canadian, right? And it's not like there's not Canada players on American teams, but still those people live and breathe, uh, live and breathe, uh, live and die with ho- NHL hockey up there. And I couldn't believe that there has not been a, a Canadian team Stanley cup winner since like the early nineties. I mean, we're talking uh, almost 30 years, 25 plus years. I was like, that can't be right. And um, it's pretty wild to to hear that let me see here just to just to make this official uh last canada i love the internet sometimes it knows exactly what you're looking for and it just like oh here's your here's your uh looks like 1993 was the last the last uh canada team that just shocks me man Let's see, 1993, yeah, Pittsburgh, Detroit, Anaheim, Carolina, Tampa Bay, man, we're scrolling back. Montreal Canadiens, 1993. Of course, how could we forget that one? They defeated the LA Kings uh, by a series of four to one. So 1993, and then of course, in the the 80s and 90s, there's a a ton of Canada teams, but 93, that's a long time. What is that, uh, 28 years? Oh my goodness. That's just crazy to think about. So, and then you got, so you got these the Canada teams and there's pods. So only one team's going to come out of that. So they'll have a one out of four chance, I guess, uh, in, in, uh, in competing for a Stanley cup. But I mean, think about that. That is really, really, really odd that a team from Canada hasn't won that long, but anyway, let's get to the, uh, some of the, uh, the playoff pods here here in the first round um and just so you guys know so here's kind of the the matchups you got uh it's kind of intra uh, divisional i guess you would say for this this uh first uh, round or, or the kind of the playoff pods so they want someone to kind of come out of each uh region so you have a western uh a north which is the canada division you have a central and you have an east so four teams in each of those obviously uh, one team's going to come out of each region. So kind of like a final four type or yeah, final four March madness type of thing. But anyway, in the East, you got Pittsburgh against the New York Islanders and Washington against Boston in the central, you got Carolina versus Nashville two Southern teams. And then in, uh, and then Florida against Tampa Bay two Florida teams. So I don't, it, you know, it should be called the Southern division there <laughs> for, for uh, just, it happened to be that way. But the Northern teams, you got Toronto against Montreal, Edwin, Edmonton against Winnipeg, and in the West, Colorado versus St. Louis, and Vegas versus Minnesota. So let's go to each of those right now as to where we're at. Let's see, as far as Pittsburgh and the New York Islanders in the East, it appears here that Pittsburgh, let's see, one, two, it looks like that series is tied two to two, game five on Monday. Uh, game one of that series went triple overtime with the Islanders coming out uh, with a 4-3 victory. So an even series there. The other series in the East, Washington uh, Capitals and the Boston Bruins. Capitals with game one, game two. Bruins came back in double overtime to get a win in game three. And then the Bruins won again in game four and game five. So the first two games, the Capitals win 
and then the next three, the Bruins win. So game six upcoming, uh, Bruins lead uh, uh, three to two in that series. I know Boston native Bill Burr's watching that uh, with all his uh, all his might. So uh, that's got to be tough. You go down 2-0, 0-2, however you want to say it, and then you rally, you rally. And the first three games of that series were overtime games, including a double overtime game in game three. So that's another thing about playoff hockey is that it seems like every other game goes to overtime, or which is awesome because then it's like sudden death, right? Oh, can we still say that? Is that term offensive? Have we changed that uh, overtime term yet? Sudden death. I'm sure that'll get changed in, in our woke culture here upcoming at some point. But uh, for now, for now, we can say that. And we'll probably still say it, even if you can't. Okay. That takes us to the Central Division, Carolina and Nashville. I actually watched a good portion of this game on Sunday. And back and forth, great game. You want to talk about overtime. This game, the, the game four went uh, double overtime, and it was the Predators, the Nashville Predators, who took down the Hurricanes four to three. So that series uh, looks like the Hurricanes took the first two games, and the Predators take the next two games, both double overtime games. So that series is tied two to two. That's the other thing you see about playoff hockey is, sure, there's sweeps. Sure, there's some five-game uh, series that end, but a lot of them are close. They, they, they do have this back and forth feel to them um, that you see a lot. And so that's another reason I love this, uh, this playoff stuff. Okay. To the Florida games, Florida against Tampa Bay. I believe uh, Tampa Bay, the defending Stanley cup champions. How weird is that to say uh, the lightning took the first two games of the series with uh, Carolina winning game three in overtime, six to five. Uh, let's see the lightning Tampa Bay came back in game four. So Tampa Bay has a three to one lead <clears throat> in the battle of Florida in the central uh, region, central division of the playoffs. We'll say so uh, game five coming up Monday and a very exciting series there to see the, uh, hopefully the defending champions uh, advance there and uh, are still in the mix here as we go forward in the NHL playoffs. Okay, to the Northern Division, the Canada, the O-Canada Division. Uh, t- Toronto against Montreal. Uh, looks like Montreal took game one, Toronto game two. They've only played two games in that series, so they're tied at uh, one-to-one with game three being Monday. I'm not sure why they're behind so much there, but probably has to do with the whole Canada thing, maybe, or just, I don't know, being a little behind in there in their schedule. Uh, this game, I watched a good portion of the um, Winnipeg Jets against the uh, Edmonton Oilers. And uh, I got much love for Winnipeg for a little bit in uh, a couple summers ago. Uh, my good friend, Hank Lemoyne, who's a big Winnipeg Jets fan, uh, came on this program a little bit, uh, not well, a long time ago, actually talk about uh, umpire in baseball and uh, being uh, from Canada, the passion for the NHL up there. But anyway, I, I love I love the peg. Go Jets. And uh, let's see, the Jets took the first three games of this series. Uh, yesterday, it was an overtime game, and Edmonton had, I think, a two-goal lead, and the Jets rallied. So Winnipeg wins 5-4 to four in overtime to beat the Edmonton Oilers and take a three-games-to-none lead in the northern region 
the NHL playoffs. That takes us out here to the West. And let's see, Anaheim, Los Angeles, no. How about San Jose? Nope, no California teams. We got three of them, for goodness sake. Two of them here in Southern California. And uh, neither of them made the playoffs, unfortunately. Tough year for Southern California hockey. But we move on. Western Division, uh, the number one seed, Colorado Avalanche against the St. Louis Blues. The Avalanche uh, dominated this series uh, from start to finish, sweeping St. Louis. Sorry, my buddy Aaron Reynolds out there, the St. Louis native. I know he's a huge Blues fan. Maybe next year. You know, the Blues won the uh, Stanley Cup a, a few years ago. So, hey, uh, you had the Cup. You're out You're out this year already. It is what it is. But Colorado at uh, Avalanche advance to the uh, second round with a sweep of St. Louis. And finally, the Vegas Golden Knights against the Minnesota Wild. I guess the Vegas team is the closest team we have out here in the West uh, as far as uh, they're not Californian, but hey, close enough maybe. The Minnesota Wild took game one in overtime against the Knights. The Knights took games two and three and four. So the Golden Knights, after dropping the first game, are now ahead three games to one with game five happening on Monday. Uh, So quite a bit of hockey games today, Monday, uh, going on that if you're a hockey fan, be sure to tune in. And a lot of those are game fours, games fives, you know, kind of big games in the series. And so uh, hopefully this thing gets sorted out here in a couple days and we'll be into the second round. But I am just ecstatic with with the hockey playoffs. Uh, Again, I, I saw some guys take sticks to the face. They go down, they they get up, they battle. I mean, just the the toughness. Every whistle, man, those referees skating in, breaking up fights nonstop. And it's just, it's hilarious, really, to see the, uh, how, how would you say it? The, uh, what's it called when you, kind of contradicting. Anyway, I don't know what I'm trying to say. Where you compare and contrast. Oh, I can't think of the word. You guys out there can help me out sometime. But anyway, the... Uh, the NBA playoffs versus the NHL NHL playoffs. Uh, I do see some highlights here and there on the NBA stuff, but I'm not like seeking it out because when I say I'm not going to watch the NBA playoffs, I mean it. And I've been sober over a year now from the NBA and couldn't be happier. I do see again, some of the LeBron flopping and some highlights of shots and things, but Hey, I'm not tuning in because I frankly don't care. There's better options out there. We got NHL playoffs. We got fights. We got uh, golf. We got all kinds of stuff. So um, I will uh, I will cover that stuff. I will watch that stuff and, and take my time, uh, you know, enjoying some of that stuff. Let's see some NFL news that broke today. Again, they're 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 kind of stirring things up. The OTAs for the Green Bay Packers. Someone who was not present was. Uh, Aaron Rodgers, who did not report, uh, he was not among the group of players who reported to Lambeau Field on Monday. So uh, take take with that, with you wish. I'm not going to speculate or get too much into that because there's other things to talk about. But that divorce uh, seems to be headed to well headed to a divorce here very very soon. Uh, let's see. You guys know I love fighting. I love boxing specifically, MMA too, UFC. But the best fight I saw over the weekend was Josh Taylor from Scotland against Jose Ramirez, a California kid, uh, Mexican-American, who uh, fought each other for the junior welterweight title. And what was great about this fight is that it was undisputed. It was two guys with two belts. There's four 
governing bodies in uh, in boxing, the IBF, WBA, the WBC, and the WBO. So Taylor had two belts. Ramirez had two of those belts. So this was for the undisputed title. There haven't been very many undisputed title holders in the four belt era. There were, uh, you know, a few undisputed guys when there was a two belt era or and so on. But uh, there's only been this fight was going to be to determine who would be the sixth, only the sixth ever undisputed champion in the four belt era. Not just not in this weight class ever. So pretty big fight on Saturday night that I don't know. I thought quietly happened. Like there was the NBA playoffs kind of going on before and after it. And this, this fight was just kind of like, it was, it was popped up, propped up a decent amount, but I thought a way bigger deal than maybe uh, people made it out to be. So there's a little guys fighting, you know, 140 pounds or whatever. And I really enjoyed this fight. I have a few friends who are of Scotland uh, descent. Right. And so I was talking with them and they were pretty excited about this fight. And when it started, Jose Ramirez, who was 26 and 0, by the way, with 17 knockouts uh, going up against Josh Taylor, who's 17 and 0 with 13 knockouts. So Ramirez had as many knockouts as Taylor had wins, but both guys were undefeated. Uh, and Taylor, a knockout artist himself with 13 of his 17 wins coming by way of knockout. This fight started and Jose Ramirez, uh, he looked really, really good in the early rounds. And I mean, and I mean, really, really good. Uh, Taylor probably won the first round, uh, but not by much. And it was Ramirez who really put on a clinic the next few rounds, definitely winning the next three uh, they go into the fifth. It was kind of balanced there, but Ramirez clearly the better fighter in the early rounds of the fight, pushing, uh, you know, pushing uh, Taylor up against the ropes, just constantly attacking him. Taylor kind of didn't look like he knew what hit him. No pun intended. He was kind of, uh, I don't know if he was holding back or what the deal was, but everything turned, everything uh, changed in uh, the sixth round within 10 seconds. The thing was the first 10 seconds of the sixth round, Taylor knocked down Ramirez and a pretty good strike that dropped him. And uh, he was able to get up and continue, but that changed everything. I mean, that changed the, the, uh, how they were, how each guy was carrying himself. Taylor just like, looked like he turned it on. He was like, okay, now it's my fight. Now it's my turn. And Ramirez never really recovered from that first knockdown. Then in the seventh round, Ramirez gets knocked down again, this time pretty late late up against the bell. The bell may have saved him as far as uh, Taylor coming back and putting on a, an assault on him, but back-to-back knockdowns in the sixth and the seventh for Josh Taylor, that all but decided the fight really, because uh, from then on Taylor probably, you know, won a lot of the remaining rounds. Ramirez put up a little bit of a fight towards the end and it came down to the scorecards and it was a very, very, tight scorecards all three judges had at 114 112 so it was in fact the two knockdowns that made the difference for josh taylor because when you have a knockdown for those that don't know and i'm still learning all these things but in boxing every round is decided uh who won the round right and it's scored 10 9 the, the winner gets 10 the loser is nine and if you get a knockdown in the round then it goes uh 10 8 so those two points courtesy of the two knockdowns for Taylor are what really won him the fight uh, as far as the knockdown in the sixth and the seventh. That's where you got the, the two point uh, advantage there. So uh, 114 to 112, great fight. 
uh, Josh Taylor, the undisputed champion of the world in the junior welterweight division, improves to 18 and 0. Scotland's finest, uh, you know, one of the biggest athletes in Scotland history now with that big win. And uh, couldn't be happier for him. And to uh, Jose Ramirez, nothing to nothing to hold your head uh, hold your head down about. I applaud both of these guys for putting their belts on the line, for uh, fighting the other guy, the other best in their division, their weight division. We need to see more of this in boxing. We need to see more guys that uh, aren't afraid to fight the best in the business, not afraid to go out there and put themselves out there. Maybe, you know, there's always potential to lose, but not, not just continue to go through the motions, but to go up against the best. That's what's going to help boxing, um, you know, really come out of its uh, shell again and draw interest from people. Because when you don't put fights together, the, the, the fights that need to happen, with with the the belt holders and the champions like there's i mean come on you don't always want to just see these mandatory challengers you want to see good good fights and it was a great fight on saturday night i was very excited for it um it, it absolutely delivered start to finish uh ramirez dominated early and then taylor just flipped a switch and uh, took it to ramirez ramirez held his own he was getting beat up but he kept battling kept fighting but it was josh taylor who ultimately took uh, took it to the cards and and uh, and was victorious. So congrats to him. It'll be interesting to see if maybe he goes up in weight class to welterweight. That's a very crowded division. Some incredible fighters there: Errol Spence, um, Sean Porter. Who else is up there? Oh, Terrence Crawford. So I don't know if he's going to want to do that, but we'll see. Uh, going up to 147 in the uh, welterweight, but for now, the junior welterweight champ is uh, is. Uh, is Mr. Taylor. So congrats to him. Um, there was some other boxing news kind of throughout the week last week. Remember I announced, I said, guys, this is incredible. We have the, uh, the biggest fight in, in British history. We got Joshua, Anthony Joshua versus Tyson Fury. Uh, I can't wait. It's going to be spectacular, blah, 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 blah. Well, unfortunately there was this, uh, not a lawsuit, but this, um, this pending law situation between uh, Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury. If you remember Tyson Fury defeated uh, Deontay Wilder last uh, right before the, I think it was 20, 2020, 29. No, it was 20. I forget, man. I think it was 2020, February of 2020. I believe. Anyway, it could have been, um, that was a pretty big fight, a rematch of, of the two of them uh, undefeated. They had fought each other before, and it was a draw. Anyway, uh, Fury uh, knocked out Wilder, or you know his corner threw in the towel. And Wilder had this pending uh, litigation, I guess, that because he was entitled to a third fight, apparently. The, uh, the loser was entitled to a, a, a rematch, a three-match, if you will. And... Fury had waited and waited and waited. I think a lot of it had to do with the 2020 lockdown situation and everything. And so he finally was going to move on and fight Anthony Joshua. Well, um, whatever the case is, the wild, excuse me, Fury was determined to have to fight Wilder in this third fight. So it's unfortunate for boxing fans because that fight now needs to happen before Anthony Joshua and Anthony Joshua was calling out Tyson Fury on social media and, 
Fury responded. It was pretty great. Again, Tyson Fury is pretty hilarious and, and motivational. Uh, great guy to follow on social media if you're looking for someone. But what we do have now is, is that previously spoken of Joshua Fury fight is now off, for, at least for now. They're going to try to get that in at the very end of 2021 here, probably December. But in July, July 24th to be exact, Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder will in fact fight a third time. Um, and then after that, hopefully it's Fury and Joshua. Anthony Joshua is going to have to fight uh, someone as well. Uh, a mandatory challenger, Yusick, uh, I believe is his name. So he'll be fighting around the similar time, maybe in August, maybe July. I'm not positive yet what the details are, but they're going to fight. So hopefully both those guys win and we still have that big fight scheduled for Saudi Arabia. Uh, one of the biggest fight in, fights in boxing history. De- Deontay Wilder looks good in some of his training and everything, but I still think Tyson Fury is the better boxer and uh, he'll probably beat him again. But uh, now we all hold our breaths because we, we don't want to miss out on the Tyson Fury-Anthony Joshua fight. Wilder-Joshua would be cool too, but I just think the fact that both guys are from Britain, both guys are you know, polarizing, I, I, I would much rather prefer that. So hoping that the Fury-Wilder fight not only delivers on the 24th of July, but also that Fury comes out on top and keeps things uh, as is and on schedule to fight Anthony Joshua later in the year. Another big fight that was announced, Manny Pacquiao. Yes, Pac-Man coming, uh, not out of retirement, but, you know, he's an older guy, and he's going to fight Errol Spence on August 21st for the welterweight title. Uh, Big story there because this could potentially be Manny's last fight. I know we said every time he fights, he hasn't fought in like two or three years, but uh, he's going to get a title shot against Errol Spence, so... I'm pretty excited for this here. Although I'm, I'm thinking, man, I thought Manny had uh, uh, one of the belts himself in that division. I could be wrong. So I, mean, I thought when he defeated Keith Thurman that he did have um, one of the belts there in that division. That, that round, that's, um, I should say that uh, again, that division that um, that's a wel- welterweight division is just loaded, man, with, with some incredible fighter, even guys that don't have belts, like I mentioned, Thurman and, and Porter, uh, those guys, man, they, uh, they're, they're dang good fighters, but, but, uh, you know, the champions in that division are just, uh, <laughs> a cut above. Okay. Let me see here. Welterweight division. That is, uh, no, it does not look like Pacquiao has a belt anymore. Terrence Crawford has one and Errol Spence has two belts. So the IBF and the WBC, uh, title will be on the line when, Errol Spence Jr. and Manny Pacquiao get in the ring uh, on August 21st. Can't wait for that one. So kind of a cool monthly schedule there. We got Fury Wilder in July and then Spence Pacquiao late August, right before uh, football season. So some good fights here upcoming. It's just a bummer that we're not seeing the biggest one in boxing. Uh, You know, again, people making mistakes, dragging their feet, whatever the excuse is. Uh, it's unfortunate that we can't see the fights we want to see, but these aren't too bad. Pacquiao against Spence is great. And Fury Wilder three, I'll watch it for sure. I think it's going to be fought at uh, Allegiant stadium, the Raiders stadium in, in Vegas. So I don't know if they're going to get that whole Canelo crowd that they got in Dallas, but it seems to me that for some of these bigger fights, they are attempting to fight them in the, in bigger stadiums, uh, football stadiums to see if they can fill them. 
Uh, so that seems to be the way forward here for boxing, at least at the time being. So some exciting fights coming up. And again, congrats to Josh Taylor on the junior welterweight undisputed world championship. Enjoy that for the time being. All right, let me take a breather here and more coffee. It is Monday morning as I record here. And it's, you know, it's I, I told you guys before with Mondays, I kind of, I'm a little slower in getting the show out. That's just how it is. But just as a quick reminder to guys, um, continue to follow the podcast, you know, voice messages. I don't get many, but those are always fun because it's like callers calling in kind of right. Leave a voice message like you would for a voicemail for someone. One minute limit. It'd be great to hear from some of you guys with uh, your questions. Plus, you get to hear someone else other than me on the podcast. That's always nice. Okay, I'm going to take a breather from sports for a second. And I want to uh, talk about uh, – I want to go to our Suds with Studs segment that we do on Mondays, usually. Didn't get to it last week. Uh, Quite honestly, my heart was uh, somewhere else. But on that note, I do want to say – I should have opened the show with this, but – uh, Pete Clark, who I told you guys last week was in the hospital. Things were not looking good. Uh, I got to say that, uh, you know, God is good and the power of prayer is real. And Pete Clark is doing extremely well. He's not out of the woods. He's He's got a long road ahead of him health-wise. But from where he was to where he is now is truly remarkable. And he's, he's up, he's alert, he's able to talk and communicate uh, just fine with his friends and family. So, uh, that was something truly inspiring this week to hear and see. And, and I just could not be happier for him and the Clark family, his wife, just everyone. So, uh, man, all the support we've seen for Pete Clark over the, uh, the past uh, week or so has been just unbelievable. And I am so happy to see photos and, and things of him. Uh, he's in the hospital bed still. I know he's, he can't wait to get out and run around probably and coach some games or something, but He's got a long recovery and uh, looking forward to chatting with him down the road sometime because I know he's a, he's a fighter and has uh, really inspired all of us. So much love to Pete Clark and family. Couldn't be happier for, uh, for the way things are going. And man, it's just, it's a great, it's got to inspire all of us to, to live our best life and to do all we can each and every day. Because I just I'm just blown away by uh, by his fighting, his his ability to to conquer adversity and just uh, inspire us all. I can't say it enough. Okay, I want to get to our suds with studs segment here, and this is a a very recent suds uh, with studs honoree, although it's a gentleman that is a, a rather older gentleman, and it's someone who was recently awarded the Medal of Honor. And it's a Korean war hero. So uh, quite some time ago, and we call this sud- this segment, guys, Suds with Studs, because, of course, these are people that we would love to sit down and have a beer with, and not just by the first round, but every single round. And we try to honor heroes, uh, police officers, law enforcement, um, people that just, again, inspire and have sacrificed so much for us. So this is uh, to someone who was recently awarded the Medal of Honor by uh, President Biden, a war, excuse me, a Korean War veteran, Colonel Ralph Puckett Jr. Ninety-four years young. How about that? Uh, pretty cool to see someone honored. Although maybe some would argue it should have been sooner. But I'm going to read to you a, a, a the article here from Fox News honoring Mister 
Mr. Ralph Puckett. So uh, here we go. This is our weekly segment we do on Mondays, Suds with Studs. This is from Fox News. Uh, President Biden awarded the Medal of Honor to Colonel Ralph Puckett on Friday, more than 70 years after Puckett's act of service during the Korean War. Puckett was the recipient of Biden's first Medal of Honor for his leadership during the war where he risked his own life to draw enemy fire away from his platoon. The president said he was incredibly proud to give the nation's most prestigious military honor to the colonel and called the award long overdue. Today, after more than a decade of effort, including support from my good friend, John McCain, God rest his soul, I'm incredibly proud to give Colonel Ralph Puckett's acts of valor the full recognition they have always deserved, Biden said. South Korean President Moon Jae-in attended the ceremony along with Biden, and he was in Washington for a summit between the two world leaders. Moon addressed the event and spoke in Korean, Korean, saying he found it incredibly meaningful to attend the ceremony. He said he was the first foreign leader to attend a Medal of Honor ceremony and hugged Puckett after giving his address. Biden said after Moon attended the ceremony, uh, Moon attend ceremony was an important recognition of all nations have achieved together. Uh, let's see here, moving forward. Biden said that in preparation for the ceremony, 94-year-old Puckett asked, why all the fuss? Can't they just mail it to me? Well, I think that is, <laughs> really speaks uh, to the man's character, uh, Mr. Puckett, and his incredible humble attitude. Ah, just mail, mail me the Medal of Honor. No big deal. I don't need all this fuss and recognition. Wow. What an incredible guy. That is, uh, that <laughs> is something else. Okay. Puckett, at the time, a first lieutenant and commander of the 8th U.S. Army Ranger Company, held a strategic, strategic position near Unsan, known as Hill, 205 for two days in November 1950 while fighting off numerous enemy attacks and suffering multiple wounds. Puckett's unit launched a daytime offensive on Hill 205 and in return, enemy forces launched mortar, machine gun, and small arms fire toward them. While enemy fire rained down on his platoon, Puckett left the relative safety of his position to run across an open area three times to distract the enemy and draw fire away from his unit. This allowed his unit to find and destroy enemy positions and seize Hill 205, the White House said. Puckett was seriously wounded when mortar rounds landed in his foxhole, limiting his mobility. He ordered his men to evacuate and leave him behind, but they refused. While under enemy fire, the Rangers retrieved Puckett from the foxhole and brought him to the bottom of the hill where he directed operations against the enemy. First Lieutenant Puckett's extraordinary heroism and selflessness above and beyond the call of duty were in keeping with the highest tradition of military service, the White House said in a statement. At one point, Puckett arose slowly to stand beside the president as an aide read out the story of his heroism. Another aide put his walker squarely in front of him, but Puckett brushed it off to the side. At one point during the reading, an aide and Biden grabbed his arm on each side before Biden hung the medal around Puckett's neck. Puckett, after the Korean War, spent about a year in combat as a member of the 101st Airborne in Vietnam. In 1992, he was an inaugural inductee into the U.S. Army Ranger Hall of Fame. 
Puckett lives in Columbus, Georgia with his wife of 68 years. Incredible stuff there from uh, Colonel Puckett at the time. Uh, what was it? A lieutenant. Uh, I can't think of a, wow, not just running out into a field to get fire on you to get it away from your men, but then to tell your man after you're injured, um, leave me here. You know, you guys got to get out of here and just continue to fight. And uh, what an unbelievable story that, um, man, Mr. Mr. Puckett here, 94 years old. And yes, I, I agree, much overdue on the Medal of Honor recognition. Um, I don't know what took so long, but that's the thing about a lot of the Medal of Honor winners and, and people who are candidates. I think there's so many of them out there that have done tremendous acts like this. And, uh, oh man, let me see here. Let's pull it lifted. Five-year limit was waived. Puckett and three other U.S. service members. Uh, okay, so there's some logistical things there that I won't read. But anyway, to uh, Colonel... Colonel uh, Ralph Puckett, uh, sir, congratulations um, on a, an award, the Medal of Honor, well-deserved, more than 70 years after your active service. So for those of you guys out there that maybe think you deserve things more, and you, you deserve that promotion maybe a little, a little quicker than you do, or you deserve maybe that new job or uh, you know, to get into a school maybe sooner or whatever the case is, a new car, um, you know, think about a man who, who did something so incredible 70 years ago and is finally being acknowledged for it with the Medal of Honor at 94 years old. I think we can all learn something from that. So to uh, Mr. Uh, to, to, uh, to Ralph there, excuse me, I almost forgot his name. Um, congrats again to you, sir, on a, um, uh, sorry here. It's been a long morning. <laughs> Congrats on the Medal of Honor, sir. You are a true hero, someone we want to continue to honor here on our Suds with Studs segment. You are absolutely someone I would love to have a beer with, and not just by the first round, but every single round. So again, congrats to Colonel Ralph Puckett on the Medal of Honor for his uh, heroism in the Korean War and one of many people we want to continue to honor here on our weekly segment, Suds with Studs. Okay, we're going to need more coffee, more water this morning to keep moving forward here. I do have some uh, some things that I'll get to with Bill Barnes on Wednesday. Hopefully, you guys are looking forward to that upcoming. Um, and if you have any questions or whatever for me or Bill, be sure to get in those, those uh, questions and things uh, in a timely manner. I'll put out a show with Bill on Wednesday. We're going to record our little pre-show and our do our recording on Tuesday. At least that's the plan for now. So uh, that'll give you a little time frame. Um, okay. Real quick about let, let's go into some, uh, some more sports stuff. Uh, again, I always comment on ejections and things that I see in major league baseball because you see more of it there. Um, but there was an ejection. Uh, Mike Matheny for the Royals got ejected on Sunday, I believe. And it wasn't so much. We don't have to go into all the details of what happened, but you know, Steve Fiziak, who's the uh, broadcaster for the the Royals, him and Rex Hudler, they used to be Angels broadcasters way back in the you know early 2000s during their World Series run and everything. 
I always actually liked listening to them, especially Rex Hudler. He's great. He's just a grinder baseball player, right? But Physiox said something that I, I think a lot of broadcasters and probably fans think about, and it just rubbed me the wrong way. Uh, first base umpire, Adrian Johnson, ejected Mike Matheny after a hit-by-pitch where the batter, he said the batter swung. So it's a hit-by-pitch, but it's a swinging strike. You stay at the plate. Matheny was arguing it. Uh, I think he was going back to the dugout and said something to Johnson at first base who made the call, and Johnson ran him. So Steve Fiziok's comment was, I don't understand why umpires just don't turn around and walk away. Now, I don't know where this thought process comes from. Like, I cannot think of another line of work, any any profession where it's like, hey, if someone's yelling at you, turn around and walk away. Would, would I don't understand. Here's the problem, Steve, (laughs) that if someone barks at you and you turn around and ignore it, you just showed everyone in that dugout that they can yell at you and there's no repercussion. And it also shows everyone in the other dugout that they can do the same thing. So you have to respond. Keep in mind, someone is saying something to you that they want you to hear. I cannot, oh, rabbit ears, rabbit ears. You can't hear everything. The person is saying something to you that they want you to hear. So, like, what what do you mean turn around and run away? If I came into your broadcast booth and started yelling at you, you would just ignore me? It doesn't work that way. And Rex Hudler, God bless him, he's like, yeah, he's just fighting for his team. Like, he was just like, nah, that's, that's part of the game, blah, blah, blah. They're literally yelling at you so you don't, so that you respond. If you don't respond, everyone will see what happened. And you also don't know what was said. I love what broadcasters just think what is said is just something innocent and, and harm and harmless. Meanwhile, as I've mentioned, it could be a situation that you're not allowed to argue at all, such as a swing, but that you're not. By rule, you're not allowed to argue it. So you tell me a job in life somewhere that you're supposed to uh, be yelled at and ignore, criticized and ignore. I mean, a police officer, you yell at him, he's just supposed to ignore it. Like what, what, what job, what job out there? School teacher, kid, kid yells at the teacher and you're just supposed to, eh, I'll ignore the kid. I'll turn around. I'll walk away. no, <laughs> Oh, I don't know where that logic comes from. Well, he was staring at him. Well, yeah, he's staring at him because he's yelling at him. What do you want him to do? Someone yells at me on the street. I'm going to I'm going to look over at him. Like you want my attention. You're trying to get, that's my point. You're trying to get my attention as an umpire. And then some guys do the cowardly thing where they'll say something and hide in the dugout. That's cowardly. I have, I have zero respect for that. But if you're going to yell at someone, or say something from afar, you want their attention. So then you get you give them their attention and then oh just watch the game, just you don't you know, all that nonsense. <laughs> just turn around and walk away. What what? What are you talking about? If I yelled at you, you would not turn around and walk away. I don't understand where this comes from. So Steve Fiziak, I actually like some of your work, but I thought you were dead wrong there in that ejection. Um 
upcoming is uh, college baseball. We have some uh, conference tournaments upcoming this weekend. We have uh, the two big conferences, obviously the ACC and the SEC. A lot of teams in the um, in the top ten, top twenty-five in the ACC and the in the SEC. So we're going to give them a little attention here. And then the only tournament that's going on out here on the West Coast is the WAC, the Western Athletic Conference. The Mountain West is not doing a conference tournament this year. The West Coast Conference is not doing a conference tournament. The Big West does not have a tournament, and the Pac-12 does not have a tournament. So I don't know where you guys stand on conference tournaments in basketball and, and baseball. I actually like them because I think it's a it's a way for, you know, maybe that that six seed or whatever to get in the tournament. I know it takes away from another at large or something, but I kind of like it. I like the conference at the end. I don't think every team should get in, but I think, you know, your top, I don't know, four, six teams getting in a, a, a tournament to play out to determine a champion. I like that. I, I, I don't know why, but I do. Um, so some conference tournaments upcoming here. Um, let's, let's, let's talk West coast baseball here for a minute and uh, the whack. And you may not know all the teams out here, in the, in the Western athletic conference, but um, the tournament has been announced. It looks like it's a six team. Uh, let's see. Sacramento state is the second seed. The uh, Cal, let's see, not Cal Baptist, excuse me. Grand Canyon is the, uh, the antelopes is the number one seed. They are from, uh, they're from where uh, down in Arizona. Uh, the tournament will be down in Mesa, Arizona. Uh, so the antelopes of uh, Grand Canyon are the one seed. Sacramento State is the two seed. It looks like U- University of Texas Rio Grande Valley is the third seed. Yes, there's a team from Texas down in uh, down in the, over who plays in the WAC, and there's also a team in uh, Chicago sh- Chicago State. If they, I don't know if they're playing baseball anymore, but uh, the four seed is New Mexico State. Seattle University is the fifth seed. And let's see the sixth, the final spot, the sixth seed will go to Utah Valley. So those six teams uh, starting on Wednesday, will play it out for, uh, to determine who will be the WAC champion and who will uh, advance to the NCAA tournament with, with a conference like the WAC, you're probably only looking at uh, one, a one bid conference. So whoever wins that tournament is, is probably going to advance or will advance. Um, so if you're a one seed or a two seed and you were projected to maybe go to the NCAA tournament and uh, you don't show up in your conference tournament, well, tough luck. Uh, okay. The big West, let's look at the big West standings. Currently UC Irvine is 28 and eight. They have the one seed. Uh, they play Fullerton this weekend in a four game series. So they, they should uh, win that series and it advance And as the big West champions, UC Santa Barbara's right behind them. They're, they're three games back with four to play. So I don't think Santa Barbara catches them. They're 25 and 11. I think both of those schools probably go to the NCAA tournament. Um, after that, it gets kind of watered down Long Beach state, Cal state, Northridge, uh, each with over 20 wins, but I don't think it's going to be enough for e- either of them to get in the tournament. So I think the big West, you're looking at uh, two UC, UC schools in Irvine and Santa Barbara that will more than likely advance to the uh, NCAA tournament. Uh, these other schools that aren't playing a conference tournament this week, they will uh, play, have another series, you know, like regular. And then the following week, which will be uh, the weekend after Memorial Day, 
it's all pushed back a little bit this year, uh, will be the, um, the uh, excuse me, the uh, NCAA tournament, 64-team field, uh, regional, 16, uh, four-team regionals. So uh, let's go to the Mountain West. Uh, two top teams here are the University of Nevada up in Reno. Uh, they are 18, let's see, 21 and 18. Um, overall, they are the one seed uh, in the Mountain West so far. San Diego State's behind them at 28 and 15, followed up by UNLV Air Force, uh, each of them with 20 and 24 wins respectively, but haven't played well in conference, kind of playing 500 baseball, uh, 15 and 15 in conference, 15 and 12. So I think if I'm honest, I think two teams probably from the mountain West in Nevada and San Diego state. But again, this is a conference where you typically don't get a ton of teams in. So I think it's, it's going to be tough for them to get two teams in, but I cannot see any more than that for sure you'll get the champion and maybe the next best team. in. so uh, keep your eye out for that. That'll take us to the West coast conference. Uh, let's see our standings here. Gonzaga at 32 and 15 overall uh, is the top of the conference followed by San Diego. Who's 31 and 11. So two 30 win teams there in Gonzaga and San Diego. I think they both get in after that. Again, it gets kind of watered down with uh, San Francisco, BYU, Portland, and LMU, each of them with 20 wins, but, also 20 losses, 20 plus losses. So uh, I think San Diego and Gonzaga each get in the NCAA tournament. So of all the teams out here, of the conferences in the West Coast, it does look like two from the Big West, two from the Mountain West, two from the West Coast, and probably just one in the WAC. Let's go to the Pac-12. Arizona uh, won the conference championship officially on over the weekend. Uh, with uh, how the how the standings go, they are 38 and 14 overall. Uh, Oregon is behind them at 35 and 13. Uh, the Pac-12 has let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, six teams that have won uh, 30 30 plus games. So the standings as of now are Arizona 38 and 14, Oregon 35 and 13, Stanford 31 and 13, Arizona State 32 and 17, UCLA 32 and 18, and Oregon State 33 and 20. Um, some decent records there. I don't know if all six teams are going to get in. It's the Pac-12. It's a, well, the Power Five conference, right? So um, maybe all six of those guys get in. Maybe only four. I'm going to project that probably five Pac-12 teams get in. Someone's going to be um, going to be left without a chair when the music stops. But uh, you know what? You got to make some room here for all the teams in the SEC that are going to be getting in, all the teams in the ACC, because uh, that conference, both of those conferences have a, a ton, a, a ton of, uh, of uh, talent and uh, just really good teams moving forward here. So let's look at... What did I do here? Oh, they, uh, I want to look briefly at the SEC and ACC tournaments since those are the two best conferences in America. Let's, let's not uh, make no data, make no doubt about it here. But what these conferences do, I believe, is they do like a pool play thing where it's like two pools of either uh, six or eight teams even. And um, okay, are those national? Oh man, so they might even have more teams than than, than normal. Uh, so what's pool play? This is the ACC. Excuse me. Okay, ACC ACC baseball championship will have pool play format 
leading into a four-team single elimination uh, bracket. So each uh, team is in the four pools, four pools. So four pools of what, three teams probably? The four teams will then, so then the four teams advance and you got your, your, uh, your winners there. So that's what it looks like is that 14. So 12 teams in the ACC uh, look, look to be getting in. Um, NC state is joined in pool C by Carolina and yeah. So four, three team pools. So you play your two teams. So probably the teams that go two and O will advance. There's probably tiebreakers and things, but it'll go into a four team four teams advance to the Saturday semifinals and then Sunday, the, um, the championship game respectively for the ACC. So that's how that is going. Just in case you guys were curious, uh, how do you play a, a baseball tournament? And then finally the SEC, I think it's pretty similar, but I could be wrong. Looks like first round uh, is uh, okay. There we go. So the first round on Tuesday is single elimination. And that is for, the teams seated five through 12. So five plays 12, nine plays eight, 10 plays seven. So 12 teams get in the SEC tur tournament. You go into Wednesday and the four winners of those games will advance to face the one through four seated teams. So starting Wednesday and uh, you got double elimination games going Wednesday, going Thursday. And again, that'll all lead up through Friday to the semifinals, which is Saturday. So four teams will come out of those, those 12 and play single elimination games on Saturday, the 29th, the two winners advance to the championship game on Sunday. So again, that's some look into the SEC uh, tournament. And again, if you look at the, the overall national standings here, the SEC is just absolutely loaded. They are, they just, they are, it seems like the, the top 25 is all SEC teams. Uh, if I can pull that up, it looks okay. So for now, this is, this is uh, updated as of Monday, Arkansas, number one, Texas, number two, they're a big 12 team. We know, but you got Vanderbilt three, Tennessee, four, Texas tech, five, Arizona, in the pack 12 there at six, Notre Dame and the SEC is seven, Mississippi state, eight, Stanford, nine Oregon 10 so look at those three teams in the Pac-12 definitely getting in that's followed up by East Carolina Ole Miss Florida Gonzaga TCU NC State UC Irvine Louisiana Tech Southern Miss Nebraska Arizona State Charlotte Florida State Old Dominion and Maryland is what you're looking at for a top 25 according to d1baseball.com so some exciting times ahead for uh, conference tournaments, some teams that are already in. What you're going to see next weekend or this weekend uh, coming up is uh, Memorial Day weekend. You got conference tournaments starting Tuesday, Wednesday, going all through the weekend. On Monday, Memorial Day, there should be an NCAA selection show where they will announce the entire field of 64. So you'll know the automatic bids and the conference champions uh, by Sunday, but you'll hear the selection show next Monday. And what I'm going to try to do on Memorial Day is to wait until that selection show is out so that we can then break down the 16 four team brackets for the NCAA regionals. Exciting time for college baseball. Uh, can't wait. Going to be a blast uh, moving forward. Okay. Let me see some good news sticking with baseball is uh, I heard is that Omaha, the college world series will in fact 
have 100% capacity for the College World Series. Outstanding news. News. I think, um, let me see. Oh, sorry, this just broke. Okay, this is Julio Jones asking for a trade. We'll get we'll get to that stuff later. Um, anyway, college college World Series will be 100% capacity. None of this limited capacity stuff. I still do think the NCAA is going to have that in the regionals, which is unfortunate. It is what it is. I think it's foolish or whatever, especially when everything else is still opening up. Um, but 100% capacity for the College World Series, um, that is outstanding. Uh, additionally, here in California, yes, June 15th, uh, things are supposed to open up officially. All this, you know, oh, uh, now it's safe, right? Not now, not now. You got to wait, got to wait two more weeks. Then it's safe. Um, the Dodgers, Padres, Angels, all California baseball teams will be opening to full capacity uh, for their stadium. So Dodger Stadium, it looks, I think uh, they open up June 15th. So that is uh, going to be pretty cool for LA fans to go out and see their defending chance. Didn't get to see the Dodgers at all in person last year. That So far this year has been limited capacity, but a lot of Dodger fans want to get out there and see their uh, their fans, or see their fans, see, see their team play. Uh, as World Series champions. And I know a lot of people are happy because uh, the Houston Astros are coming to town here in the summer. And now that it's going to be 100% capacity, um, that's going to be quite the scene at Dodger Stadium uh, with uh, who knows what kind of what kind of uh, theatrics and things from fans. So listen, the stadium is opening up. People, be safe still, okay? Don't be idiots, please. Don't be drinking too much and fighting people in the stands. I mean, some things never change unfortunately, but uh, let's, let's go into this with a positive attitude. Can we? I mean, I, I love the fact that stadiums are opening hundred percent. Open it all up. Keep opening, keep opening the doors. I love it. Uh, while I was thinking about uh, the Dodgers stadium opening up and uh, you know, all, all, all the stadiums, really most major league baseball teams are doing this now. Um, there was something I wanted to confess to you guys that, uh, I don't know if I've ever told anybody, maybe I have on this podcast, but um, it is something that um, I don't know. I've, I've struggled with over the years and I, okay, I'll just come out and say it. Um, I love history. I love, I love Dodger stadium. I love the Dodger tradition. I love being in the ballpark, but there is something that, I've tried so many times to like, and I just cannot, it's blasphemy. I know. And that is uh, the Dodger dog. I'm not that into it. You should be. It's that, you know, the, the long dog there, you got a little extra meat. You got, it's a, it's a Dodger dog. It's hard to even say without your mouth watering a little bit. I always loved Vince Scully talking about Dodger dogs, thought it was great, but uh, I'm not against hot dogs. I do like hot dogs, but the Dodger dog, I, I don't think it's that good. I really don't. As far as, you know, the hot dog rankings, it's just the concept is cool, but it's just not that good. I like Nathan's hot dogs. Those are, those are amazing. Uh, Wiener schnitzel has some great hot dogs. Heck Costco. Costco's fantastic. You, know, you want yourself at a hot dog. You go to Costco, man. And, and another underrated hot dog. I know this is blasphemy and, and I'm going to get, get some pushback here. Um, AM PM, AM PM, AM PM is sentimental to me for a few reasons, but I, uh, 
I think they make a good dog. I do. I think AMP is better than the seven. I don't look at, first of all, I don't go around just eating a bunch of hot dogs. Maybe I look like I do, but I try not to eat hot dogs very often, but I'm just, I started to think about this with stadiums opening up. I started to think about ballpark food. Yes. These are things I think about. I get excited. Me and my good friend, Todd Carson, we've gone uh, two weeks before uh, 10 days really, but eating nothing but ballpark food. It was a magical time, but Unfortunately, that's not a good idea. You can't go through life eating ballpark food. And it does get old fast, trust me. In the minor leagues, I would be, uh, they bring us food after games. 140 games in 150 days. And they're supposed to kind of bring us what the team would get. The teams after the game, they'd have, you know, little spreads or whatever. But some teams would just bring you a couple hot dogs. And that got old real quick. So for a lot of former minor league umpires, they can't even think of the, they can't even think about a hot dog because you just every, even if you didn't eat it, you're just like another one, another one. I can't eat hot dogs seven days a week or even three days a week. So uh, that was something I thought about. I love Vince Scully's description. Uh, Farmer John, Dodger dog. I mean, that just gets your mouth watering. But every time I've tried the Dodger dog, I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. As far as ballpark dogs, I think the Dodger dog's a little overrated. That's just me. Um, You could put all the stuff you want on it, but it's just the meat. It ain't right. I don't know what it is. I've even tried to make my own at home. Dodger dog, a little overrated. Just, I got to say, I'm being being honest. I'm speaking my mind here. I'm allowed to give my opinion. It doesn't have to be a popular opinion, but there's better dogs out there. That's just my thoughts. Uh, but on that note, as far as ballpark food, uh, kind of did something I shouldn't have done on over the weekend, uh, but I had to try it. Me and Valerie went to like this little food fair thing up the street where it was just like fair food that was, uh, with a couple different vendors and things. I was like, sure, let's go. So we went over there, had a, had a few good eats and things and something I had never tried before that I had to try just to say that I've tried it. I've never had a, one of those fried Oreos or fried Twinkies. And yeah, I had one of each. I'm not going to not gonna try to hide it. I did. I had one of each. And uh, the buildup, there was a lot of buildup, right? All these years of, of hearing about it and not ever trying one. And uh, I did. And I was impressed. I wasn't like, oh, I have to have another. I have to have more of these. It was good. It was good. Um, but... I wouldn't say, you know, something that was life-changing or anything. I have had some food that is life-changing and the fried Twinkie fried Oreo wasn't, wasn't quite up there, but I'd, I'd have it again. I'd absolutely have it again. I wouldn't have a lot of them though, because man, that uh, fried uh, dessert sugar thing, man, that was, uh, that it's a lot. It's a lot to process there, but uh, I'm not a huge sugar guy. I do like desserts and things, but um the fried Twinkie fried Oreo. Pretty good. Pretty good. Um, I think it would be nice on like a cold day, kind of that hot fried uh, dessert, but uh, I'd have it again. It was a big, big day for me yesterday on Sunday, having a, to experience that. So I wanted to share that with you guys as far as like ballpark food goes and things. And some of them, and maybe this can stimulate some conversation here with you guys, but like Ballpark, like one of my favorite things is kettle corn. Kettle corn at a Cal State Fullerton baseball game. I don't think there's anything better. 
um, than, than kettle corn. Um, I'm a big like tri-tip sandwich fan. So they used to have some tri-tip sandwiches uh, down. Actually, we actually got a few of these when we were umpiring too, but Cal State Bakersfield has a killer tri-tip sandwich. Uh, as does Cal Poly, San Luis Obispo, and San Diego State. So I know those are college stadiums, but it's also you know more affordable and things. So uh, a good tri-tip sandwich, I think, is is uh, you can't beat uh, pizza. I think most pizza in stadiums tastes pretty good. Uh, you know whether it's a little personal one or just a big slice. It may not be uh, the greatest, you know, New York style pizza or whatever. But when you're at a ball game, you have a slice of pizza, man. Can't go wrong there. Um, Peanuts, sunflower seeds, those are cool to just munch on during a game. Um, I'm not a big cotton candy guy. I know some people just love that stuff for me. Eh. Uh, one one vice that I used to always have uh, at like Dodger games uh, was a chip witch or something about having an ice cream at a baseball game. And and in, in that case, uh, the two cookies uh, sandwiched uh, with some ice cream in the middle. Fantastic, phenomenal. Um thinking about it right now, actually. So uh, <laughs> those are some of my favorite ballpark foods, some things that I, I wanted as ballparks are opening up, I thought would be worth mentioning. And if you would like, I'd love to hear it from you guys. What are some of your go-tos at ballparks? And if you're not a big stadium, uh, you know, sports attender, then uh, to, what do you get at, you know, anything, movie theaters, those used to happen, concerts. What do you, What is it you like to have uh, when you're at a venue like that, a sporting event? or maybe some things you cook at home when a sporting event is happening. But, um, but yeah, ballpark food, man, it's bad for you, but every now and then you gotta, you gotta dive in and, and try a, a few things here and there um, at various ballparks just to kind of taste, taste the land, right. Taste the lay of the land. So uh, anyway, got a question here from, Ooh, Will Tarico just sent this in. Uh, let's see what Will has to say. What do you guys think of how Tony La Russa handled the Yerman Mercedes 3-0 home run? I don't think he should have thrown his player under the bus. Also, what do you think about these unwritten rules? One, don't swing at the first pitch after the pitcher has allowed back-to-back home runs. Two, don't bunt during a no-hitter. And three, don't steal bases when behind by a large margin. Good question, Will. I'll tell you what, I'm going to save these for Bill Barnes on Wednesday. And for the listeners out there, to tease you a little bit. I do have opinions on this. Um, I think you guys know where I stand on things, but I I will definitely uh, go into detail uh, with this and and Will's question here. As a matter of fact, I'm going to copy it up here so that I can save this for my Bill Barnes section. And Bill and I are going to get into this because Bill has, you know, been quite critical of Tony La Russa and uh, we are both obviously not in favor of this new age of baseball and how, um, I, I do think it's important for uh, some things to never change, some standards to stay the same. But again, I'll get into all that with Bill on Wednesday for our Wednesday show, uh, and hopefully that'll keep you guys coming back. But anyway, ballpark food, can't go wrong. If you want to vent, you want to let out, you just, hey, your, uh, your vices, whatever, send them my way, send them our way so that we can uh, maybe talk about some ballpark food this week. Okay, lastly, on the show today, I want to talk about my alma mater, Real Hondo Prep. Uh, they've had some great success here in the spring. Spring sports have been good to them. Keep in mind, the student body at Real Hondo Prep is quite small. So 
um, kind of everybody plays everything, if, if you will. And at first, this is something I never thought I'd talk about on my podcast, but I'm going to, I'm going to give the guys a little shout out here. I'm going to talk to you about men's volleyball. Yes. Real Hondo prep boys, men's volleyball. Um, they are in the playoffs. Yes. The playoffs a few years ago, they were in the, the CIF final loss in the championship game. Um, so that was a heartbreaker. And when you, when you think about the fact that man kind of volleyball just came out as this like sport of like, okay, for guys that don't want to play baseball, go do that. And then it's, it's become this sport now that uh, Rio is proud of and, and really excels at and, and tries to uh, tries to win, uh, you know, titles at. So uh, Rio played Fairmont prep in the opening round of the Southern section uh, playoffs for the 2021 CIF volleyball playoffs. They defeated Fairmont prep uh, three games to none back uh, last Thursday. So their game uh, this week is, is a playoff game against uh, let's see Capistrano Valley Christian down in San Juan Capistrano. That game is Wednesday at six o'clock uh, May 26th. So uh, good luck to the cares out there in uh, their playoff run. Uh, hopefully can take it all the way to the CIF finals again. Uh, I'll be tuning in. I don't know much about volleyball. I used to follow uh, the girls teams at Rio and my senior year, the girls won the first CIF championship the next year uh, they repeated. So uh, I do remember kind of playing in the band and cheering and stuff like that. So anytime Rio is pursuing a banner in, in any sport, um, I'm, I'm a fan and, and want to give a, uh, give a shout out to. So additionally, uh, this is again, not something I thought I'd be discussing here, but I saw this, this uh, headline, if you will, and I couldn't believe it. So I was like, let me open this up and uh, see what's going on here. The real Hondo prep uh, girls softball team with has, having quite the season uh, undefeated in league play and has won the prep league, which is a big deal because that's not something that always happens uh, for Rio, the, the softball program has improved greatly in recent years and, uh, couldn't be happier for him, uh, to and this Tuesday, 13 to nothing win over Flint Ridge prep, uh, just really remarkable. And, uh, it was Tatiana four who was actually a, a junior pitcher for Rio Hondo. She was named two ten prep, uh, sports girl athlete of the week. So at the plate, she uh, singled, scored twice, and had an RBI. Um, but uh, as a pitcher, she went five scoreless innings. Uh, let me see here. Oh, wow. She pitched twice here. So she went uh, against Flint Ridge. She pitched two scoreless innings and struck out three uh, of the Flint Ridge prep wolves. I guess that's their new name. I'm going to call them rebels because they're, they'll always be rebels to me. Uh, let's see. But it was um, what she did Friday that clinched the uh, championship for the cares. Uh, Rio defeated Chadwick 10, nothing. So quite the beat down there of uh, Flint Ridge and Chadwick ladies. Great job. Uh, Tatiana four went five scoreless innings. She allowed just one hit, one hit did not walk out anybody and walk anybody and struck out 10 of the dolphin uh, batter. She also singled herself, scored three runs, and had an RBI. So, uh, great job there, Miss Tatiana Four, for the Real Hondo Prep Cares, in uh, in the dominating the uh, man the, the prep league play there. Um, let's see, 
Oh, so she has a uh, Mrs. Miss Four here has a, a sister on the team too. So for Real Hondo Prep, uh, the girls' softball team uh, has done extremely well. They've won the Prep League, and it looks to be they will be uh, advancing here in the playoffs uh, shortly. So we'll keep an eye on Real Hondo Prep uh, on the ladies. We, hey, we 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 like success at Real Hondo Prep, no matter what it is. Uh, you know, football, baseball. Uh, science experiments mock trial whatever we want to applaud uh excellence out there so congrats to uh the ladies down there real hondo prep and their softball uh their softball prep league championship keep it going into the playoffs put put some wins together real pondo prep to my no they haven't they've never won a softball championship so they seem like they might have the team in place this year to maybe do that how exciting would that be uh to hang a, a softball banner up there, Real Hondo Prep baseball team a few years ago won the baseball title in 2019. I know they're trying to defend that title, um, but uh, for now, you know, it, it, season uh, is uh, kind of a little rough for Rio. They're, they're kind of inconsistent, really, on the boys' side of things. The baseball team, uh, I saw a, a few tough losses last week um, or in recent weeks, losing to Webb. Like seven, nothing. That's no good. But let's talk about the positive side of things first. It was Jack Van Cleave uh, with another great pitching performance. Uh, the senior is really uh, just mowing people down in, in every start. He struck out 13 batters in Rio's eight to five win over Chadwick recently in six and a third innings of work. He surrendered, uh, let me see, four runs on one hit, four runs on four hits, excuse me, one, one earned one. So he walked two and struck out 13 batters. So um, great job there for Jack Van Cleve as Rio takes down uh, Chadwick uh, eight to five. Uh, Rio scored five runs in the bottom of the sixth to uh, take, take the lead and uh, take the game as uh, they held Chadwick to one run there in the top of the seventh. So let's see here for the Rio baseball team. I want to kind of look at the scenarios here. Uh, for Rio and uh, the softball team appears to be doing great. Number one, uh, and they're going to get a good seed, I'm sure, in the playoffs and uh, do just fine. The baseball team has been a little inconsistent, boys. You know, let's be honest. You know, they they got some uh, big games remaining that they they gotta they gotta show up and uh, perform for. Let's be honest. The Rio baseball team is seven and eight, five and five in league, so they really do need to piece some wins together here as the week. Uh, is uh, as the as the, the season is finishing up. So Rio plays on Tuesday against Pasadena Poly, the rubber game. It was a few weeks back where Rio and Poly played twice in the same week. They split those games. So a big game here on Tuesday for Rio. And then on the 28th, Rio finishes the season on Friday with games against one game against Chadwick uh, earlier in this, or excuse me, man, I'm all over the place. Flintridge prep on Friday, the 28th. Rio had previously lost to Flint Ridge Prep on May 12th, 6-4, and lost also on April 23rd, 6-5. So Rio needs to uh, salvage a win here in the three-game series with Flint Ridge. And if Rio can win both games on, on uh, Tuesday and on Friday, they can improve to 9-8. and eight. That looks a little bit better than uh, finishing with uh, an eight and nine record, right. Or even a seven and 10 record. Um, they're third in the prep league. So uh, they got some work ahead of them. I don't know if they're going to get in the playoffs or not, but uh, we'll be rooting for them and be keeping an eye on them on Tuesday 
and Fridays. So uh, be sure if you get a chance, guys, get out there, support Rio, watch him online, um, whether it be uh, Facebook or uh, whatever the case is. But a lot of uh, Rio Hondo prep sports to follow here in the upcoming uh, week. Uh, softball team is uh, finishing out their season, the baseball team. Hopefully they can find a way to get in. And of course the volleyball team on Wednesday with a playoff game uh, down in orange County, or maybe it's home. I'm not sure, but playing uh, Capistrano Valley Christian. So uh, that is kind of uh, it for the show today. We've talked about a lot of different things. I've given you NHL playoffs, golf, uh, major league baseball, college baseball, boxing. We talked real hondo prep, softball, baseball, and volleyball i mean we had a suds with studs segment i thought it was a great show today very much uh, happy with uh kind of how things are going and appreciate the support and the listenership guys remember there's always great ways to follow the podcast you know where to find us and on social media and everything but continue to reach out i, I love the support i love hearing from you guys whether it be questions or whatever um the voice messages, those are always fun to get from you guys. So you can always see those in the episode notes, a quick little link there, an easy way to send in a message to the podcast, but uh, in, in follow in uh, kind of recapping everything, Phil Mickelson wins the PGA championship. Congrats to Phil, Uh, Josh Taylor, the undisputed junior welterweight champion in boxing college baseball, the final week of the regular season or conference tournaments for a lot of teams. Next week, we'll look forward. We'll look at the, uh, we'll break down the bracket in Division One college baseball. Uh, the NBA, we don't care. We did comment on LeBron being uh, somewhat soft. Well, he is soft. But uh, yeah, we, we talked about a lot today. Ballpark food, man, I'm hungry now. Haven't had breakfast yet. Uh, just a lot of great things. Baseball's opening up. Summer's around the corner, guys. I know it doesn't officially start until June something, but let's be honest. Summer starts on Memorial Day, and that's upcoming one week from today. Cannot wait. A normal summer. How about that? A normal summer is looking on the horizon. Cannot wait. Hope you will join us on Wednesday for the weekly Wednesday weigh-in, and again on Friday for a mystery guest that I will tell you guys about later on in the week or on social media on Thursday when I'll post a picture of our upcoming guest. That'll do it for me today, guys. Appreciate you joining me. Hope you will join us in podcast moving forward. Have a great rest of your week, no matter what you're doing. But guys, as always, no matter what you're doing, whether you're out on the town or around in third base, get home safe. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Get Home Safe podcast. We greatly appreciate the support. We know we have a lot of loyal listeners out there, but we always want to keep people informed of the many ways to follow the Get Home Safe podcast. We have various social media platforms. Our Twitter handle is Get Home Safe Pod. Our Facebook and Instagram page is Get Home Safe Podcast. And our email address is Get Home Safe Podcast at yahoo.com. There's plenty of ways and options to listen to the get home safe podcast anchor helps distribute our podcast to places like apple spotify google and many more we also have a youtube channel that is brand new for us not a whole lot of content on there yet but we're going to try to put out more and more video episodes in going forward as well as short clips here and there regarding uh, big events that happen uh, over the course of time so lots of options out there guys we'd love to hear from you send us an email offer uh, some suggestions or content uh, topics or uh, just ask us some random questions we always appreciate that i know bill barnes does especially on wednesdays so uh, looking forward
forward to continue to bring you great episodes here on the Get Home Safe podcast on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Guys, have a great rest of the week. And as always, no matter what you're doing, whether you're out on the town or around in third base, get home safe. Thank you.